Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Inside Brockle podcast. I'm Elliot Jackson and I'm joined as always by Ryan Hildred. Ryan, how are you? I'm not bad, Elliot. Um, every time we record these, I just feel more mentally exhausted, more tired, more I don't know what's happening next, but um, it's a bank holiday weekend and a four-day week, so we'll be happy in that regard. I'd like to share what you said just before we hit record, and it's <laughs> Blackburn Rovers are an animal that needs putting down. And that's that does feel how it, how it is. There's still a flicker of hope. It's eight games without a win, two uh, two matches since we last recorded, a defeat to Burnley at Ewood Park, and of course yesterday's one all draw with Luton Town. But there is still a flicker of hope for Blackburn Rovers going to Millwall on the final day. We'll start briefly with the Burnley game. It was a while ago now, but we will touch on it first before going into more depth on Luton. A, a, a disappointing result, and I think it's fair to say one they didn't deserve. They didn't deserve to lose that football match, in my opinion. They, they were the best team for certainly an hour, 66 minutes to be exact, when Burnley scored. But again, it's the same old story, and we're going to repeat ourselves a lot of times on this podcast today saying this. Didn't work the goalkeeper enough. Didn't take their opportunities. And that's been the story of this eight-game eight, eight winless run, hasn't it? But I thought for 66 minutes until Manuel Benson curled one into the top corner, I thought they were the best team. I thought they pressed them really well. But again, how many clear-cut saves did Murich have to make? There wasn't many scrambles in the box, were there? No, and I think you can view this game in a couple of different ways. So, um, cliche alert, you know, champions of divisions know how to play like they've done and, and get the the victory. So, you know, congrats to Burnley and all that. Actually, some of the stuff that you're saying, um, should that be the minimum expectation in a derby game? Should that be what Rovers are doing every single derby game? That endeavour, that input, uh, making Burnley look very ordinary, I think, for, you know, the first 60 minutes. That should be how it is at Ewood Park every time we play Burnley at Ewood Park. So there is a view that I hold in that regard. However, in the context of this season, in the context of how Rovers have been playing with how good Burnley have been this season, I do think it was a good performance in that first 60 minutes. And that is what makes it hurt so much that that one moment of brilliance is what has decided the game. And it is ultimately the difference between Rovers and Burnley this season. We haven't worked the keepers enough. We don't create the amount of chances that we should do with the the pattern of our play and the possession that we have. And it is probably going to be the thing that costs us this season that we're not converting that overall comfortableness, if that's a word, <laughs> into, into the product. Of the, it is a word now. But, you know, that is the, the disappointing thing that we're not converting you know, we are a really good, solid, stable side in the middle part of the pitch, I would suggest. And and certainly at the back, that final third is where all the problems lie. So take the derby out of the equation, take the Burnley winning the title out of the equation. It was just a disappointing football match that, you know, we didn't create the chances and, and didn't punish Burnley in that regard. I think you're right. I think for me, if this wasn't Burnley and let's say it was Sheffield United who were Burnley and it was that, that this performance against top of the league, take the emotion of Burnley out of it. It was a good performance against clearly the best team in the league by a mile. Take the Burnley and Derby element out of it. I think you've got to look at them as the best team in the league and objectively through that sort of prism. And I think it was a good performance, but obviously they've got match winners. They've got quality in depth. Thomason made a, a comment after the match saying they've got Benson, who obviously came on, scored the winner, and they got three strikers on the bench compared to, to what Rovers had, which was 18-year-old Harry Leonard. Um, in terms of the goal, it's a, it's an absolutely stunning goal. He's done that 
He'd done it in the previous two games. He's since done it again against Bristol City at the weekend. So that's four games in a row. Benson has scored the exact same goal, cutting inside and putting it in the top corner. Thomason said, you know, his pose, could they have done better? You know, you know what he's going to do. And he, he kind of likened it to Ian Robin. You know what he's going to do, but it's stopping it's a, a very different scenario. I, I think you do ultimately have to say, could Pickering do a little bit better to show him on the outside? And I think everyone's going to, look at that and analyse it in the same way when it's so obvious what he's going to do. But clearly, Pickering's an experienced footballer. He knows what he's going to do. If he can't stop it, he can't stop it. It's a brilliant strike into the top corner. And I have to say, I thought Burnley managed the game really well once they went ahead. It seemed to give them a level of composure. That's the streetwiseness. Again, might not be a word. We've made two words it is up now. <laughs> we've, made, we've made two words up in the opening five minutes. Um, that's the level of streetwise and experience that Rovers don't have that Burnley did. And they just took the sting completely out of the game. And once Burnley went in front, you didn't think there was an equaliser coming in truth. No, and uh, just going back onto the goal, um, I was worried the moment Harry Pickering got booked because I thought, right, here we go. We've got a problem here because if Benson has another breakaway or Burnley counter-attack or whatever, you could see Pickering picking up the second yellow card. Um, let's just remember as well, this is the benefit of having a left footer on the right-hand side because Benson is coming on to his stronger foot and you're asking Harry Pickering to stop him with his weaker foot. I know these are championship-level footballers and I've only played Sunday league football, but that's quite difficult for someone to you know, defend strong against someone as good as Manuel Benson on your weaker foot. So yes, Harry Pickering could have done better, but it's ultimately the difference, isn't it, between a very good quality footballer coming up against a championship-level fullback, you know, with the greatest respect to Harry Pickering. So, It's yeah. interesting you just brought that up because, actually, I think it was against Sunderland earlier in the season where Rovers played a back five and played Hedges at right wing-back, obviously a left-footer on the right, and Callum Britton played left wing-back, which was a right-foot on the left. And I asked Thomason about that after the match, and he made that very point that you've just made that, they had Jack Clark, who's right-footed on the left. They had Patrick Roberts, who's left-footed on the right. And that was the exact thinking as to why you had them those way round, so that ultimately they know they're going to come inside. So they've got them defending on the stronger foot. Yeah, that's it. Exactly that. So as much as, yes, the emotion of the derby, we've lost the game to that goal. I get all of that that the fans are saying. But, you know, I'm not hanging Harry Pickering out to dry too much with that because Benson's a good player at this level. As you say, he's done it again. Harry Pickering knows he's on a yellow card as well, so he's probably scared to just touch him at all. And he knows he's yeah. in an area of the pitch that he's either going to give a free kick away on the edge of the box or he can give away a penalty in a derby game. I just think there's a whole host of things that contribute there to Benson has just got the advantage and that's all he needs, isn't it, is half a yard. Then just going you know, to your original question, Elliot, yeah, just after that, it was disappointing that you know we didn't really fashion anything. Um, I think the closest we got was the Ashley Barnes handball, which was a handball. I've probably stolen your thunder and you're going to talk about that in a moment. But it just had the feeling of the inevitable that Burnley have gone 1-0 up and we were not coming back into that game of football. And sadly for us, it's just the gap between the two sides at the moment. Um, and you could probably argue that had Rovers gone 1-0 up, you'd probably fancy Burnley to peg us back and maybe win the game. And again, I think that's just another kind of you know, uh, indictment on where the two sides find themselves at the moment. So plenty of effort, plenty of endeavour. I did, you know, sit there after the game and think, actually, I'm quite proud of the way the players have played. But as I said, right at the very start, that's the minimum expectation in a derby game for me. And unfortunately for Rovers, 
two things contributed into this game. One, you know, them winning the title on our patch. And two, it was a game where we needed something and we didn't get anything. It, it was a big leap, at least from the performances against Burnley and Preston North End earlier in the season. You, there's no one that, even the most pessimistic and downbeat Blackburn Rose fan cannot say that this team hasn't evolved and hasn't got better. And you can see that in the performances in these two derby games that have just gone as well, albeit Rovers haven't got the results they wanted. The performances have been night and day. That is undoubtable. The penalty, you've just come onto it there. It's a Stonewall penalty, isn't it? He sticks his arm out. The linesman's in position. You, I'm sure you've seen the angles from, from where someone's videoed it from the linesman's view. The only thing is there is a Rovers player that sort of, I can't remember who it is, that crosses it, runs across sort of the line of sight potentially, but it's definitely a penalty. And it was it. Thompson was asked about VAR actually after the game, and he just said he thinks it will come in, like no matter what. But if VAR had been in play in the championship, which it's not, so it's a bit of a moot point, um, it would have been given, wouldn't it? And that's just the bad luck Blackburn are having with officiating at the moment and in front of goal. Yeah, and luck is the key word. And yeah, I think the things you've said about the officials and you know where the referee was on the pitch in particular, I think, yeah, I've got some sympathy for that. I do not have any sympathy for the linesman who can absolutely see that incident. It's clear as day. He can see where Ashley Barnes's arm is at. So, you know, VAR or not, I really do not understand why the linesman has not given that. And it's just plain and simple. He's just not got the bottle. We've spoken a lot about bottle on these podcasts, but the linesman, 95th minute, whatever it was, in an East Lanks derby in front of the Blackburn end just does not have the cojones to to give that decision. And it's plain and simple. And I think we've spoken a lot about EFL refs. The EFL will know the standard of their refereeing at times, or probably for the majority of the season, not just in Rovers games, but in plenty of other games has not been up to standard. And for me, I think Thomason is right about VAR. When teams are going for the Premier League and the Premier League itself has VAR, when it means so much to teams like Rovers, Millwall, Coventry, Luton, you know, the finances that that would equal for teams like us, these decisions have to be correct because Rovers get a penalty there and the game finishes 1-1. What if we do miss out on playoffs by one point? You can point back to that moment. We've spoken about the Coventry goalkeeper scoring a few weeks ago. You know, VAR might give that as a handball. That's a big moment in the season. So when I think it means so much and the Premier League is growing itself so much and finances are dictating that some teams are literally on a cliff edge with all of this stuff, for me, it goes hand in hand that the championship is going to end up having VAR for those reasons. What I will say, though, we're going to have to be careful what we wish for because it's going to get frustrating because... It's not just about having VAR, it's about having the quality of the officials running VAR. <laughs> Have we even considered having Keith Stroud and Gavin Ward on VAR? I mean, I couldn't think of anything worse. <laughs> I've always been quite a supporter of VAR, generally, for those exact points you've made. My issue with it is not it, we just need to streamline the process and have better people making the decisions, as you said, ultimately. But I have generally been in favour of VAR because you do get less of the like absolute horror situations where it is just bonkers. Yes, there's a lot of downsides at the minute. It's frustrating. But for me, I would have it because there's too much money involved. And maybe that's a separate issue, whether there should be. But there's too much money involved and too much at stake for these decisions to be incorrect. So I've always been quite a supporter of it. It's not perfect. I absolutely agree with that. It needs streamlining. It needs better people operating it. I think the offsides need to be worked on in terms of not having armpits offside, draw it at the back leg or something like that of the defender and just go from there. 
I think it would be more palatable um, for people personally. But yeah, I've, I've for the exact reasons you've said, I, I personally would be in favour. Um, and I think it's inevitable ultimately as the game continues to progress in the way that you've just outlined. Positives, Adam Wharton, absolute star of the show. He was the best player on the pitch considering the, the level of experience in that midfield battle, Brownhill, Cullen, um, Goodmanson against Travis Morton and uh, Adam Wharton. Uh, sorry, it wasn't Morton. Morton was already out, wasn't it? It was uh, Smodic, sorry, in that midfield three. Uh, he absolutely shone, didn't he? He was absolutely fantastic. And <laughs> you almost leave him apart thinking, why the hell has he not been playing more? But I think we equally saw why a little bit against Luton, which we'll come on to where he did have a bit more of an off day. He was a lot more quiet. So he's 18. He's going to be fluctuating in performance levels. But my my word, he's got a high ceiling, hasn't he? For, to dictate a match like that in an East Lanks derby in that atmosphere at this stage in the season, he genuinely plays like he's playing in the back garden with, with, with Scott. It was just sensational to watch. I mean, some of those things, turning himself into trouble, then getting himself out of trouble and little turns and all these things, it was just brilliant to watch. And and for someone that's come through our academy, just fantastic. You're right to reflect that, you know, where has he been? We can look back this season and think Wigan at home, nil-nil, Hull at home, nil-nil. Other games where we might have drawn or lost. Adam Wharton in the centre of the park, does he turn a, a draw into a win? So there is absolutely that feeling of what could have been in that regard. Because I think you can look at Morton, Travis and Buckley across the whole season haven't been 100% on it all season. They've had flashes. Um, Morton's obviously taken the most flack out of our central midfielders. So why hasn't Adam Wharton played more game time? But I trust JDT's judgment on it. He is the one that sees him on the training pitch every week. He sees his application. He sees the numbers, you know, in terms of stats, you know, what's it doing to his body, you know, what's his fitness level like and all of those types of things. So I trust JDT's judgment why we've not seen more of him. But one thing is absolutely evident now. He has to be a fixture of our central midfield for the remainder of this season. How much left of it there is, who knows? And certainly next season, Adam Wharton has to be within our centre midfield. It was a fantastic performance and just so great to see a 19-year-old play with all that confidence. And just we end this season with so many green shoots of recovery and green shoots to get excited about. And Adam Wharton is definitely one of those. Absolutely. Right, let's move on to Luton now. A one-all draw at Ewood Park on Bank Holiday Monday. And another familiar story of Rovers starting pretty well. I thought they were the better team in the first half. They, they pinned Luton back. And they had some probably better chances than they did against Burnley, certainly. But they, they both fell to the fullbacks, which probably sums up where uh, Rovers are in an attacking sense at the moment. Harry Pickering's got to score when the ball deflects to him on the left side of the box. Uh, the, the irony was not lost on me that he missed the biggest chance of the game, probably, um, just before he was given goal of the season pre-match, which, which amused me a little bit. And Rankin Costello, good save from Ethan Horvath with with his feet. They were the best two chances in the first half. And again, it was just another another familiar story of Rovers trying to unpick a lock. They kept crossing it into the box, which I found a bit strange. But then on the flip side, they took a few corners short and it didn't quite work out. And everyone started to moan a lot. And I'm I'm not being funny. Like they've already crossed it into the box about eighty times. It's not working. They're going to have to try something different. So I'm I'm really not a fan of short corners generally. But I can understand why they started to revert to them in this scenario when Lockyer, Bradley, Amari Bell were just heading them out for fun. 
they just couldn't find a way through, and it, it was the same story. And they, they just can't cope without a recognised number nine at the moment. Yeah, and Ty Dolan took most of the flat with that. So I was in the Riverside yesterday, and um, you know, you can surprisingly, you know, people can project their voices pretty well onto the pitch from the Riverside. And Ty Dolan did take a lot of flack. Um, that was not his game yesterday to to be the false nine and be dropping into those spaces. You know, he had the centre backs right up his backside, and his first touch at times let him down. And you know, it was unfair criticism actually from the Riverside, from the people sat in and around me. He you know, it's still a young lad. This is a crunch game. Let's not be berating him in that way. But he you was know, poor, though, wasn't he? He was very he was poor. poor against Preston as well. I do think some of the criticism was fair. His first yeah. touch, in particular, was was quite poor. But I think tactically is is what's let him down. I don't think Ty Dolan should have been playing centrally in this game, coming up against players like that. He should have been in one of those wide positions. And if he wants to play hedges and Brereton Diaz, will keep Dolan on the bench and and bring him on to make an impact. So. I do think Ty Dolan was left out to dry a little bit and and it was a poor performance from him. And you're right, it, it was difficult for, for Rovers to fashion the chances because, my word, Luton are a physically strong side. You know, I was quite close to the action yesterday and someone like Amari Bell, he has clearly gone away from Rovers. Yeah, he has worked on his body, worked on his physique. He looks a strong physical asset, you know. And the two lads up top, uh, Adebayo and Carlton Morris. I thought they gave Carter and Hyam an absolute physical workout yesterday with you know some of the stuff aerially. Um, I thought Rovers were largely second best to the first contacts in that first half yesterday in particular. Um, so it was a real physical battle and a real physical contest. So, you know, Luton came to play. Luton came to make it difficult. And and you're right, in an attacking sense for Rovers, we we had to find different ways and do something different. And I think... My frustration in the first half is when we did um, break their press, that's when we looked dangerous on the counter. And certainly we went, when we had the ball in behind those centre-backs, that's when we looked dangerous. And we just didn't do it enough in that first half. But granted, we did play pretty well in that first half and, and those two chances. And there was one for Dolan as well as um, yeah. when he hit it wide as well. We could easily have been 1-0 up at half-time. And, and as we know with Rovers, that's usually a, a good scoreline for us this season. But yeah, on the whole, a, a fairly okay first half performance, but one where Luton were absolutely matching us in that game, I'd say. I thought I didn't think Luton were quite as good in that first half as, as perhaps you did, which is which well, is matching physically, I'd say. Um, not yeah, they did. Of... They did. I thought Luton were in second gear, really. To be honest, maybe that's because I, I probably maybe watched a little bit more of Luton and I know the the levels they can play at. I thought they came as a side that already knew they were third in the table because of Middlesbrough's result earlier in the day, and I thought they were. Not poor first half, but I thought Rovers were definitely the better team. I thought they pinned them back quite well and sustained attacks, which is not something many teams have done to Luton under Rob Edwards. The thing with Luton is, ultimately, they can play through midfield. They've got good footballers, but yeah. with the physical threat of those front two, they can just spin you in behind. No problem. We'll go over the top of you. We'll play into Morris. We'll play into Adebayo. They yeah. both can run. They can both hold the ball up. That multifaceted um, style of play is something Rovers just don't have, which is... I thought, which is what got them into the game, I thought, second half. That that was what got them a, a real grip hold. And Rovers were really poor when they came out for the second half. They didn't start well. Kind of similar to Coventry, really, I thought, except they, obviously it was nil-nil. And Luton had shown they were a threat. They'd had, obviously, the, the Morris shot that was deflected just wide. There was a chance for Jordan Clark in the first half where Adam Wharton just does enough to put him off as he bursts into the area, but Pear saves it. And then, obviously, into the second half, and they... 
give the goal away. It's a second phase set piece. It's a good, it's a beautiful cross into the box, but you know, Rankin Costello gets the wrong side of Tom Lockyer. He's marking him in the box. It's a, you know, he only needs a little bit of contact from close range and just a really sloppy goal to give away, really to give Luton, you know, to put, give Luton the advantage and put the noses in front. Yeah. And uh, a really disappointing start. I was, I was, I was quite angry with the way we came out for that second half, actually, because I just think, you know, this is a half where, you know, that we need the win to, to remain in the playoff contention. We're going to the Blackburn end. And I just thought we gave all of the impetus to Luton and we allowed them to just bully us at the start of that second half. And it just didn't seem like people were up for the challenge, up for the fight. And to see players like Amari Bell just, you know, strolling down the left-hand side, seemingly unchallenged and just bouncing off the challenges we were putting in, it was desperately disappointing in that sense. And the goal, you know, this is probably where, I'm not saying that had Sam Gallagher been on the pitch that that goal doesn't go in. But, you know, we did look a small side when the balls were going into the box. And someone like Tom Lockyer against Joe Rankin-Costello, and I do actually think Rankin-Costello is fairly decent in the air, but against a specimen like Tom Lockyer, who's very physical in the air, had Sam Gallagher been on the pitch, maybe he's in that second phase of play and making it more difficult for Lockyer. So it's just a really, really disappointing goal and, and probably far too easy as well that I think it's Carlton Morris, isn't it, who's just able to kind of swivel a little bit on the box, cross it in left-footed and just disappointing to concede a goal in that manner. And I tell you what, like it absolutely just burst the bubble of enthusiasm in Ewood, doesn't it? It was just flat as a pancake from that point. Yeah, absolutely. You're totally right. That, that that was the interesting thing, wasn't it? That once that goal went in, the the atmosphere just fell out, fell out the ground, didn't it? Really, it was like a balloon had been burst. The belief drained. I thought it it was quite sad, really, that it just felt like nobody in the ground believed Blackburn were going to score. And I mean that in terms of the fans. I thought the players looked devoid of sort of belief. Even us in the media, I didn't expect Blackburn to score. I have to be completely honest because of the the record. You know, had they not scored yesterday, it would have been five and eight without a goal. Only scoring five in that uh, four in that time, and they just didn't build any momentum. And again, it felt very similar to the Burnley game where once Luton got in front, they grew in a bit of confidence and they just controlled the game really. And from that point onwards, you can't say that they peppered Ethan Horvath at all, can you? And they just didn't build any momentum. There was no sort of energy in the ground in the stadium from the fans and. It's interesting, I've seen some discussions online about whether the fans could have done a little bit more to get behind the team. And obviously the obvious counter-argument to that is, well, give us something to shout about. But either way, whichever way you want to look at it, it's a bit chicken and egg. The atmosphere definitely played its part from both ends in terms of getting any momentum. But then suddenly, a goal. And then, the believe you me, the, the roof went off Ewood Park. It was fantastic. Hayden Carter gets in front of his man. I can't believe Rovers scored from a corner first and foremost. They've been so bad at set pieces all season. Good cross from Thomas, headed in by Carter. You know, one of your own, his first Blackburn goal, and he would erupts. And that was a huge moment in the season, ultimately. Yeah, there's a few things I just want to say on what you were saying there. Um, so just on the atmosphere, I've got a lot of empathy for the fans in this situation, actually, because there's two things I'll bring in. The first is there is a section of the fan base that after the Coventry and Preston results were kind of resigned to our fate at that point, even some probably back to the whole game. So I get that some people need a bit of warming up and need something on the pitch to happen and, and might not be fully behind the fans in that regard. I wasn't one of them until the fat ladies singing, you know, I'll always be 
believing in that sense. And then the second thing where I've got empathy for the fans, you know, this isn't just under Yondal Thomason where we're talking about Rovers not coming from behind in games. This is under Tony Mowbray as well. So we've been conditioned as a fan base to not expect Rovers to come from behind. And you can maybe do some stats and research on it, Elliot, and, and find out how many points there are. But it won't be many over the last three, four years where Rovers have come from behind to win. We've probably picked up a few draws here and there, but to come from behind and win... So I've got every sympathy with the fans that as soon as Luton score, especially in a season like this where 1-0 has beaten Rovers a lot of times, I've got a lot of sympathy with the fans that that maybe they weren't feeling up for it and, and feeling that that was that. So that's why the atmosphere went flat in that regard. Second thing I'll say, I thought Thomason's subs were good yesterday. Um, he was proactive, more proactive than he has been recently. You know, as soon as that goal went in, it was double change, Dakon, Thomason. Yeah. That's it. So I thought the subs were good and I thought Sorba Thomas, um, I'll be open with you. I've not been massively impressed with Sorba Thomas um, on his loan period from from Huddersfield, but I thought he was excellent yesterday. I actually thought he was the one leading from the front at times. You know, he was pressing, clearly up for it, matching Luton physically as well. He was one of the only ones on that pitch in that flat second half period who was raising it. And the other sub I thought he <laughs> made well, but it was just far too late, was Harry Leonard. So we've just been talking about the running in behind and Dolan not getting any joy dropping off. Harry Leonard, that corner comes from the fact that Leonard makes a striker's run in behind. We get the corner and that's where we get the goal from. And this is why... That role is never going to work, is it? No, it isn't. It it doesn't work. No. And for a team like Rovers, as much as our set pieces have been crap this year, Law of Averages says if you're in the other third of the pitch and you're getting throw-ins in deep positions or you're getting corners and strikers are making it difficult, Law of Averages says you're going to spend more time in that third and perhaps get a goal. And that's what I liked about Leonard coming on and making that run. He made something happen. Yeah, he's not going to go down as the assist for the goal, but boy, he made that run in behind and it led to that moment. And yeah, just on the goal itself, um, Hayden Carter absolutely deserves that. You know, this is, we're talking about green shoots of recovery and the stuff I was saying earlier. Hayden Carter is another one of those. I think even six months ago, had you said Hayden Carter will be finishing the season as first choice centre-back alongside Dom Hyam, not a lot of people would agreed with you on that with Scott Wharton and Daniel Ayala in front of him. But he has absolutely taken his chance. And when we're talking about Amari Bell going away and working physically, Hayden Carson, he's just a man mounting of a man now. He is absolutely everything everything about what you need as a championship-level centre-back is Hayden Carter. And this is Rovers who have been crap at set pieces. This is Rovers who, you know, are going to find it difficult to score from a corner against Luton. If you look at the replay of that, Carter wants that ball. He's in front yeah, of the Blackburn and he absolutely wants it. And just what a header, what a moment and just fantastic all round. And see the joy on my kid's face when that went in as well. It was just amazing, amazing stuff. Yeah, I think Hayden Carter, I thought he had a, him and Heim were a little bit shaky over Easter in the, the two games against Huddersfield and Norwich. Since then, he has not put a foot wrong and he's played against the Championships Elite. He's played Gyokerez, he's played Tom Cannon, who's very much in form. He's played Morrison Adebayo. He's played against Ashley Barnes, who's very experienced. He's gone against it all, Gyokerez, and he hasn't put a foot wrong. I think he's been absolutely... None of them have scored. (laughs) None of them have scored, yeah. And I think him and Hyam, but Carter just edges it for me in this little run. He's been absolutely phenomenal. It could have been the storybook ending, couldn't it, Ryan? Sam Smodix, off the bar, stoppage time. It's even worse watching it back with the commentary 
I'd, I'd, I'd actually don't know where I would have ended up at that point had that goal gone in. And as I say, we were in the river. You'd have ended up in the Jack Walker stand across the other end of the pitch. Both my kids had gone down right to the very front of the riverside and they were watching the game from there for the last five minutes. And, you know, they were right in front of me. And I actually wonder where they would have ended up had that goal gone in. (laughs) Over the the hoardings. You you chucking them over, probably. (laughs) I think I would have lost them. So, uh, but yeah, what a strike. And I don't want to sound like too downbeat and Rovers get no luck and all that type of stuff. But Rovers never get these moments. Like, when was the last time something like that happened to us that Sam Smodic has just taken that down on the edge of the box and it's rasped in off the bar and we've had that moment at the end of the game? When was the last time that happened for us? So I just feel robbed of what would have been a a magnificent moment. And for us to then go into the Millwall game on the back of that goal and that result, that would have just given the players such a lift and had us absolutely bounce into the den um, but yeah, just what a strike from Sam Smodic. And it would have been great for him to be the man that gets that goal as well. You know, when we're talking about Hayden Carter deserving it, Sam Smodic is another who absolutely would have deserved that moment as well. And yeah, just desperately unlucky. He did everything we, right. We interviewed Sam Smodic after the match and he was saying it sort of popped up behind him a little bit with his touch, a little bit like the Neves one against Derby all those years ago. And so that he gets that dip on it as well because he's sort of striking from behind himself. It's an unbelievable strike. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. It just happened in a flash, all of it. And the noise when it hit the bar in terms of like the fans, the groan, so unlucky. But it means it finished one all, probably a fair result. Just to wrap up the Luton game, pre-match, there was uh, some awards dished out, Ryan. Dom Hyam was picked as player of the season. Harry Pickering won goal of the season. First of all, Dom Hyam... Absolutely no discussion for me. He has been pretty heads and shoulders, the most consistent player in a Blackburn Rovers shirt this season. Rovers have got fans generally have got a bit of a fetish for a good centre half, haven't they? You know, uh, Van Heck <laughs> won it last year. I'm pretty sure defenders have won it certainly recently. I think Mulgrew picked up one up as I think well. Hanley's had it as well before. Yeah, Hanley. But he's been an amazing signing. And when you consider the state of the defence, having lost Nyambi, having lost Darren Lenehan, which was a huge hole. He's come in and filled it and then some. So he was a phenomenal signing. Fair play to the recruitment team. We'll get plenty of sla- uh, plenty of flack for January. But Hyam was a brilliant pickup. He's done fantastic and been worth the transfer fee already. And then goal. Harry Pickering won it. And I understand why, because it's a unique goal. It's something a bit different. I'd have gone for Sam Gallagher's goal against Middlesbrough, which didn't even make the top three. The top three was Pickering, Brereton Diaz against Sunderland, uh, Sunderland where he killed it in, and then Dom Hyam against Watford, which I definitely wouldn't have picked. I'm sorry that Gallagher's goal was better than than that. Brereton Diaz and Gallagher probably would have been my top two, actually. I think I'm happy with the Pickering goal because I like team goals because team goals mm. are unique, and I think if you can have a goal which is not just one player scoring it, and you've got you know five six players as that one had, then um, you know I like that, and it was a fantastic break, a fantastic moment in the season as well with Sheffield United coming to Ewood. So I'm happy with the Pickering goal. Sam Gallagher, yeah, I can see that. He's absolutely thrashed that. Hasn't he? <laughs> He's just whacked it in. <laughs> it's a real strike, and I just think that. The reason I'm leaning towards Pickering is Pickering's goal feels a bit more unique to Sam Gallagher's goal. I think Sam Gallagher, you could see plenty of other people strike a ball like that and score a goal like that, whereas the Pickering goal is very unique. Right down to that moment, the the inside disguise pass from Ty Dolan, you know, that pass is fantastic from him as well. So I'm leaning towards Pickering, I think. I'm in agreement. 
So Ryan, we go to Millwall on the final day of the season. Rovers are ninth in the championship. We'll just do a few pre-match permutations. Blackburn Rovers have to win at Millwall no matter what. That's job one. If they don't win at Millwall, they will not finish in the playoffs. If they win at Millwall, they also need Sunderland, who are away at Preston North End, and West Brom, who are away at Swansea, not to win because they're on the same amount of points as both of those two teams, but their goal difference is minus three. Sunderland's is um, plus 10 and West Brom's is plus seven. So unless they're going to win 10 nil at the Den, um, they need to finish a point above them. So they've got to beat Millwall and better the results of West Brom and Sunderland to get in the top six. Otherwise, they won't make it. That's a pretty simple equation in terms of job one. Got to go and beat Millwall. Yeah, absolutely. And this is just shaping up to be the weirdest of days because the other thing I'll add into the permutations for you, Sunderland and West Brom will actually be cheering on Rovers, but Rovers could be a team that come above Sunderland and West Brom. So it's just such strange dynamics going on. Um, So yeah, six points is, is what we wanted to be in our own hands. We knew regardless of what the Luton result was that we had to go to Millwall and get the win. You know, nothing's changed in that regard. So for Gary Rowett and Millwall, for Yondal Thomason and, and Rovers, nothing has changed. You know, both sides know that they need to beat each other. Millwall have obviously got the comfort blanket of of knowing that a draw might be... Is a draw enough for Millwall? Um, no, they're still at threat, no, aren't they, they, they if they draw? Win. They need the points as well. They've got to win. They've got to win to keep it in their own hands. So Millwall are kind of hoping for the same results that Rovers are in regard to, to Sunderland and West Brom, but permutations wise it's just bonkers and I just think every scenario it's going to be chaos down in Millwall I mean it's usually I'm so chaos. glad they've got something to play for how depressing <laughs> would it have been you know my first train's at 9am in the morning I'll get back at 20 to 10 how depressing would it be doing that day and every, they're, they're all fighting for it Rovers just like yeah we bottled this didn't we where at oh. least they're going and they've got a chance I'd probably say they've got a 20% chance I um yeah I I'd, I've said all along that I think Sunderland are going to do it. I can see Sunderland going to Preston and getting what they need. Um, now Swansea are out of the equation. And with West Brom just having some of those players that have been in the Prem, they've done it before, etc. Are West Brom going to fathom the result at Swansea as well? So I'm a bit pessimistic. I can see Sunderland. I don't fancy West Brom because mm. their away form has been so poor under Carlos Corbera, and the, generally the home form has been what's kept them in this playoff race, albeit recently they've won, I think they've won the last two actually away from home, but it's been points dropped away from home. Swansea are in really good form and haven't had, let's be realistic, they were never getting in the playoffs anyway, they've not had anything to play for for a while, and yet the performance levels have been really good. Preston is interesting because this time last year, Middlesbrough went to Preston on the last day of the season, and Preston had got nothing to play for and need a result. And they got battered 4-1. Yeah. Middlesbrough did. And Preston got in. Now, obviously, Preston won't want to do Blackburn any favours particularly. But that could be a draw, although Sunderland's away form's been better than their home form. I've I heard... Think, I, think, I don't think... I'll tell you what, I don't think Sunderland and West Brom will win. I think at least one of them draws. I will say that now. And then it's up to, can the other one draw? And can Rovers win at Millwall? I've heard some interesting things from Ryan Lowe as well about Preston and the fact that he wants, you know, new players, players committed to the cause, all of that type of stuff. So if there is a kind of show me what you've got, this is your last chance type thing with Preston, maybe he can get them G'd up for this game against Sunderland. But um, do you know what I'm worrying about the most? In a season where Burnley win the title 
on our patch, Mowbray gets Sunderland into the top six. I mean, talk about a season that takes the piss. It would be this one. A goalkeeper scores at Ewood as well, just to rub it in. Just It would be the icing on the cherry on top of the cake, wouldn't it, for Mowbray? Oh, yeah, the, the winner for Sunderland. Oh, don't even say things like that. Because... I think he's injured, actually, to be fair, so I don't think he can. But... <laughs> Joe Gelhart, you know, as we were going after him, maybe, but you know, but it would just take the mitt, wouldn't it, if that happened? But yeah, permutations galore. I like the simplicity for Rovers. Just try and get the win, get the job done, see what happens after that point. But I think your percentage chances that you said there are, are entirely correct. I'm not expecting. It's more kind of blind hope more than anything. But make no mistake, it's going to be a really difficult game at Millwall. I've said this all along. I didn't want it going to Millwall on the final day because... That is going to be a hostile atmosphere. It'll be hostile before the game. It'll be hostile after the game as well. Um, because with all the different permutations, every scenario is possible. Millwall make it, Rovers don't. Rovers make it, Millwall don't. I think we both can't make it as well if Millwall draw, for example. So it could just be chaos all round. So it's going to be hostile. And I really hope the Rovers players can stand up to that and and Thomason can get them firing in the right way because we're going to have to. We're going to have to be a lot more. We're going to have to be a lot more progressive than what we've been in some recent games. And with some of the physicality stuff I saw yesterday at Ewood against Luton, we're certainly going to have to match that and do better than what we did yesterday, especially on those first contacts. Jake Cooper, etc., going into the box, we're going to have to be much better. As you said, Mill will need to win as well to be sure of their own destiny. They can't drop points or the risk of a results putting them out of the playoffs. I think that helps Rovers. I think it needs to be more cup finally because if it was Millwall need a point and they're guaranteed there, they could just sit back, hope for set pieces. And let's be fair, Rovers have hardly got a great yeah. record of breaking teams down, have they? So they they need to be at it as well. It's their cup final as well as Rovers. And, you know, their recent form hasn't been great, albeit they, they got a good win at Blackpool um, last Friday. The form before that, you know, they'd lost at home to Birmingham. They'd lost away at Wigan. So there's a lot of pressure on them and an expectant den. Yes, everyone talks about the atmosphere being intimidating. Of course it will be. But equally, that can turn toxic as well if things aren't going right. Yeah, it can. And I do wonder if Rovers and Millwall, more than the other teams around us, are going to be more guided by the results of what's going on elsewhere. Because actually, if Millwall and Rovers keep that game at nil-nil, Millwall might know that nil-nil's enough and just shut that game down. And then likewise, Rovers, if they know the results are going their way, know that they need to turn a nil-nil into a one-nil. So I do just wonder if our game is going to be really cagey and tight and we just see what happens at Preston and and at Swansea. But um, you're right about the atmosphere. It can turn. And if Rovers were to get the early goal as well or Rovers were to frustrate or look really good, you're absolutely right. It can work the other way as well. And I think that... For a team like Millwall, you could argue the same with Rovers as well. You know, we're not blessed with deep squads full of quality. Millwall absolutely need their 12th man to get them over the line sometimes. So you're right to reflect that that, that could be the thing that tips them. Absolutely. In in terms of the team, would you make any changes? Obviously, the big elephant in the room is Sam Gallagher, if he's fit enough. My gut feeling is he'll be involved in the squad at least. Thomason said they might risk him if they need to risk him because it's a cup final game. He's definitely got a chance. This is not smoke and mirrors. He does definitely have a chance. He's not out and people just won't say it unless he suffers a setback this week. They've got six days to get him ready. I think first and foremost, I put Sorber Thomas in for Ryan Hedges for similar reasons that we've already outlined his performances. Um, Gallagher for Dolan. Would you take a 70% fit Sam Gallagher? 
I would because I know that we've got Harry Leonard on the bench, and if we need to do a little tweak to the formation with Dolan and Hedges, we can also do that. high, I suppose, from set pieces another contribution. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, we can't. When we think about the stuff we've just been talking about with the Luton game, we cannot repeat that false nine stuff because it's just going to be rinse and repeat in that regard. You cannot have someone like Ty Dolan dropping off with defenders up his backside, and certainly with you know the quality of first touch that he had yesterday. So. Um, if Sam Gallagher does have a sniff, just see if we can get 70 minutes out of him or whatever. But then that works the other way, doesn't it? Because let's say we use Sam Gallagher for 70 minutes and then he's done. If Rovers are 1-0 up and then you haven't got Sam Gallagher on the pitch when Millwall are lobbing crosses into the box, throw-ins into the box. comes on and goes up front. Very true. I mean, you're right to reflect Daniel Ayala. You know, what an important man he could be in this game. Um I do worry bringing someone on who's been out for so long just for a certain purpose. That does make me a bit anxious. You don't but... have to kick it, just head it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But um, yeah, I don't know what way I'm leaning with Gallagher, you know. I think I might have talked myself out of him starting because of the fact that we might need him at the end of the game when balls if are going into the box. If he can do more than 45 minutes, like if you can get an hour out of him, I would start him because I think it's more important that Rovers are in it with half an hour to go than it is that, you know, if they, they're chasing a goal with half an hour to go, Sam Gallagher's not definitely going to get you a goal. Yeah. I think Sam Gallagher's more important for the setup of the team, just like the alchemy of that attack really more than his goal threat as much as anything. So I would rather start him if he only lasts an hour. I'd rather n- navigate that last 30 minutes, whatever the scoreline is, mm. than be 1-0 down and bring him on as, as a goal threat because as stupid as it sounds, he's, he probably is more important to the team outside of goals for yeah. this match. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think you're talking me into him starting now, now you've said those things. But, He's uh, persuaded. But I, I just want to place on record how nervous I am about corners and long throw-ins going into the box at the end of this game. You know, that does make me anxious. I'm trying to think if there's any Millwall connections that's going to definitely happen that will make us all cry. There's no real form. <laughs> there's no Dan Shittu. He's the only one that... Really, isn't there? <laughs> What's the score going to be, Ryan? Are Blackburn going to get in the playoffs? What What's the score going to be at the Den? Um, I've heard lots of sadistic views from fans that Rovers are going to win the game and then still not make the playoffs because such is our luck this season. I actually don't think we're going to win the game. Um, I think this is one step too far for Rovers. I've not predicted us to lose on this podcast this season. I do think we're going to lose this one. I, I think Millwall have just got what they need to, to get the job done. Um, they've got two strikers banging form that are going to cause us some problems. They've got the hostile atmosphere. They've certainly got the physicality to raise it and do what they need to do. And I just, I can't see Rovers going down there and winning, to be honest. And that's why I've been so anxious about this game and saying I don't want us going to the den needing anything because I just don't fancy us in this type of atmosphere on the final day in a cup final game like this. So I could see Millwall getting a 1-0. I can see them getting the job done. I think it'll be a draw. I think it'll be one all, which obviously isn't good enough for Rovers to get in the top six. I do think it will be a step too far. I don't think they'll get their job done. I think it'll be a draw, is my gut feeling. I think it'll be one all. Whether that's enough for Millwall or not, I'm not sure. I would say Millwall are my, would be my favourites to get sixth going into the final day, which is not particularly cutting-edge analysis given they are the team in sixth. But with so much that can change, I, I, I think my gut feeling is a, it'll be a draw and Millwall will still get in. Because it wouldn't shock me if the other two games were draws. I could see them all drawing, as it is with so much on the line. 
It'd be so annoying that as well, wouldn't it? That if the other two were draws and Rovers knew that that would be enough. But um, look, go and season, really. yeah, it would go and prove me wrong, Rovers. Go and win at the Den and, and see what we can do. But personally, I just think that we we knew we didn't want anything on the Luton and Millwall games for a reason because they are up there for a reason. You know, the table does not lie in that regard. So. I just think it's a step too far for Rovers. And this isn't the game we'll be looking back on when this season's done and dusted. There's probably four games that I can point at where I'm just like, yeah, they're the ones actually. Coventry, Preston, first two. Hull and Wigan. They're just, they yeah. stand out to me. Just four games where, you know, their four draws, get the extra eight points out of those and, and look where we're sat or get four points out of those and look where we're sat. Get two points out of those and look where we're sat. Right, Ryan, we'll round off this week's podcast with our Rovers riddle. Last week's clue or riddle was uh, both of my names are Scottish in origin and I made 11 appearances for the Tartan army. I had two spell, spells at Rovers, took though limited appearances, and I retired in 2018. Who am I? I think this one was fairly easy because of the two spells at Rovers and being Scottish. So I think it was only one man, which is Gordon Greer. Correct. Well done. Um, this week's is uh, a list of former clubs. and I want you to work out who the player is. So we've got Hemel Hempstead, um, Basingstoke Town, Dagenham and Redbridge, and Blackburn Rovers. That's not in... That's not the only clubs that this player played for, but those are some of the previous previous clubs. Um, he is a current Blackburn Rovers player, I'll tell you as well. Wow. I was going to say so, DJ um, Campbell. So uh, the fact no, that... Those, you... are, those, are, uh, those are your clues. He is a current Rovers player. Uh, make sure you tweet us at Inside Brockle and let us know what you think the answer might be and let us know your score predictions as well for the big game at Millwall. How are you watching the game? What are your plans? We want to hear all about it, so do tweet us at Inside Brockle, and make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed in your chosen app. It's going to be a massive game at Millwall. Fingers crossed for a positive result and at least a day out that everyone will hopefully remember positively. We'll obviously be back next week to reflect on all the fallout. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of the Inside Brockle podcast. (laughs) 